please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We finished Matthew chapter 20 last week, so we are continuing through Matthew's gospel. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we again thank You for Your Word that we have the privilege to read it in our own language. This morning when when thousands have never had that opportunity. That we have heard of Jesus when thousands never have. Thank You, Father. What an unbelievable gift. Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would come upon us, that You would be our teacher, that You would help us learn all that You want us to learn from this passage. We pray that as we study this together, that it would have an impact on our lives and the way that we live, that we would truly be changed. Lord, that we would grow in our love of King Jesus, that we would grow in our devotion to King Jesus, our obedience to King Jesus. We Father, we want to grow and be more like Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that during our time together, Your Spirit would work in us in ways that we don't even know to ask and change us and transform us and free us from sin and fear and anxiety. Lord, we want to be different. And so we pray You would meet us and 
Change us through your spirit, by your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Last week, we saw through both His power and compassion, Jesus demonstrated that He is the God-man Messiah who came to open blind eyes and destroy sin and its effects so that we might follow Him where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in His very presence. Jesus is the only man we see in Scripture to open blind eyes. No one did it before Him, and no one has done it after Him. We're told in Scripture, God can do it, and Jesus does it. So we conclude that Jesus is God. Today we see King Jesus enter Jerusalem on the way to the cross as the soon-to-be-crucified King the all-knowing King, the all-providing King, the Scripture-fulfilling King, the King who is worthy of obedience, the King worthy of worship, the prophet King, the soon-to-be-risen King, the soon-to-be-returning conquering King, and the King of Kings. So point number one, the soon-to-be-crucified King. Look at... Verse 1 of chapter 21 again. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem. I love this summary by David Platt in his commentary on Matthew of where we've been in Matthew's gospel and where we're going. And so I'm going to read it to you. The beginning of the end. You could view this Entry into Jerusalem by Jesus on a donkey as the beginning of the end. That's the best way to describe Matthew 21. For 20 chapters, we have journeyed with Jesus from Bethlehem to Egypt and Nazareth throughout Galilee into Capernaum and Gennesaret into the Gentile areas of Tyre and Sidon to Magadan and Caesarea Philippi and into Jericho and Judea. Now for the first time in Matthew's gospel, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Matthew 21 records the last week of Jesus' life. For three years, Jesus had preached, taught, and healed, and now during Passover week, He was entering the holy city. It would be difficult to exaggerate the significance of the events that transpire in the remainder of this gospel. Over a period of eight days, Jesus entered Jerusalem, cleansed the temple, challenged the religious leaders, instituted the Lord's Supper, got arrested, was tried, was crucified, and then was raised from the dead. This was the week all of creation had been waiting for. Back in the garden, God had promised the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15 The Son of God ultimately fulfilled that promise, crushing the head of the snake by His death and resurrection. The events of this week, planned before the foundation of the world, were not just climactic for Jesus' life. This was the climactic week for all of history. Over a quarter of Matthew's gospel, eight chapters is devoted to these last eight days. Up to this point, Jesus has told those who are helped not to tell others, those who were healed not to tell others, since it was not the time for His full identity and purpose to be more fully revealed. For example, when He healed two blind men in Matthew 9, 27-31, Matthew writes, Jesus warned them sternly, be sure that no one finds out. 
However, at the end of Matthew 20, Jesus again healed two blind men, but this time he gave them no such warning. In Matthew 21, Jesus asserts himself as the Messiah, the promised king who would save his people from their sins. But he was not a king for the Jews only, for his saving rule would extend to the nations. You and I are also a part of this purpose, for we are called to submit every part of our lives to his rule and reign. Christ is worthy by our adornment and the abandonment of our lives. He's worthy of our adoration and the abandonment of our lives. In this chapter and the ones that follow, Matthew gives us a breathtaking, awe-inspiring, life-transforming picture of this king who will one day return. His attributes are on display, and the picture is stunning. Notice in that description, he mentions this, uh, this, this truth, this reality that when Jesus healed, he often told uh, the people he healed, be quiet, don't tell anybody about me, that they would confess him to be the Christ, and he would say, don't tell anybody. It was kept a secret. Scholars have called it the messianic secret, like in Matthew sixteen twenty. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, that all ends today in Matthew's gospel. There's, there's no more secret about this. Jesus is, is putting himself out there. He, he's putting himself on display for who he really is, and he knows once he does that, it will very quickly uh, lead to his death. Now all eyes are on Jesus when he rides into Jerusalem. No more secrets. J.C. Ryle comments, it was not fitting that the Lamb of God should come to be slain on Calvary privately and silently. Before the great sacrifice for the sins of the world was offered up, it was right that every eye should be fixed on the victim. It was suitable that the crowning act of our Lord's life should be done with as much notoriety as possible. Therefore, it was that He made His public entry. Therefore, it was that he attracted to himself the eyes of the wandering multitude. Therefore, it was that all Jerusalem was moved. The atoning blood of the Lamb of God was about to be shed. The deed was not to be done in a corner. And so very, the very beginning of this, uh, beloved, we should see that Jesus came to die. Many people, many Jews of Jesus' day had the wrong impression of what Jesus came to do. Possibly many in this crowd, as they cried out and worshipped Him, thought He would come to overthrow Rome, that He would over, overthrow the Roman oppression that the Jewish people uh, uh, suffered from. And yet, as, as one pastor said, He didn't come to overthrow Rome, He came to overthrow them. <laughs> He, he, he didn't come to overthrow Rome. He, he came to overthrow the Jewish establishment, to destroy the temple and raise it up again. He, he came to overthrow their sin. He came to die. He came to die. He's going to come back as a conquering general. But this time He comes for peace, in terms of peace. And He comes to make peace between uh, you and I and God by dying for our sins. Remember what He told His disciples in 2018 through 19. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. 
Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know this, that you are so bad, that your sins are so bad, that this beautiful, perfect, holy King of Kings, Jesus Christ, had to die to take away your sins. That's how bad you are. Friend, the Bible teaches that you are a sinner. That you have rebelled against a good and righteous and a holy God who woke you up this morning, who gave you sleep, who gave you clothes, who gave you food, who gives you breath and life and everything. And you have rebelled against Him in thought, word, and deed by what you have done and by what you have left undone. You have not worshipped this King as you should. You've not loved Him as you should. You've not trusted Him as you should. Your anxiety bears witness against you. Your worry, your fear, my worry, my fear bears witness against me that I've not trusted my king as I should. We're all sinners. And because we've sinned against him, we deserve his wrath in hell forever. But praise God. God loves sinners. God loves sinners. He loves those who've rebelled against Him. He loves those who've committed treason against Him. So He sent His Son Jesus, whom we see today, right into Jerusalem on a colt. He sent His Son Jesus to live a perfect life. To never sin. He never had sinful fear or worry at all. He always did what is righteous and holy and good and thought, word, and deed. And then He died on that cross where He suffered God's wrath, God's curse, God's judgment. He took the hell that you and I deserve. All of it. He died and was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. This is the good news of the gospel. If you don't got that, you ain't got the gospel. Hint, hint, hint. If you don't have the death and resurrection of Jesus, you ain't got nothing. That's everything. And friend, I want to invite you to believe on Him today. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you do that? Would you believe Him? He will save you. And when you trust in Him and believe in Him, Beloved, the truth is we've died with Christ. He came to Jerusalem to die. He is the soon-to-be-crucified King in our text. And when He died, if you trust in Him, you died with Him. You can't work for this. You can't earn it. You can simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone. And when He died, we died. And we're called to follow Him and die to sin and self to follow Jesus on the Calvary Road and die to sin and self. I was reminded of what Ellen Vaughn wrote about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot this week. You know Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Jim died as he was seeking to share the gospel to the Waldani tribe in Ecuador. And at the end of her biography of Elizabeth, she wrote, whether you agree or disagree with their choices, whether you resonate or not with their particular personalities, the takeaway from their lives is reckless abandon for God, a willingness to cast off any illusions of self-protection in order to burn for Christ. 
an absolutely liberating, astonishing, radical freedom that comes only when you have, in fact, spiritually died to your own wants, ambitions, will, desires, reputation, and everything else. Beloved, Jesus is the soon-to-be-crucified King, and He died on that cross. He is risen, and He calls us all to follow Him in dying to self, and dying to sin, and following Him in radical obedience. That's point number one, the soon-to-be-crucified King. Point number two, the all-knowing King. The all-knowing king. Look at verses 1 through 3. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. Beloved, notice in this text, Jesus knows everything. Jesus is the all-knowing king. Jesus knows where the donkey is. Jesus knows where the colt with the donkey is. Jesus knows that the owner will understand that the Lord needs the donkey. Notice he says, tell them the Lord needs it. And, and when you read the commentaries, oh, Lord, that can mean sir. It can mean the owner. It can mean this. It can mean that. Well, uh, I always take it as, 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 as double entendre. That's a big word that basically means double meaning. Double meaning. Jesus is saying the Lord God Almighty, I am He, needs this donkey. The Lord needs this donkey. He knows where everything is and the owner will send Him at once. He knows where the donkey is. He knows where you and I are. He knows all. Jesus knows everything. This text remind us, reminds us that Jesus is the all-knowing King. There's nothing hidden from Jesus' eyes. Nothing. Not your thoughts. Not your words. Not your deeds. Not your actions. Not anything done. Jesus knows everything. J.C. Ryle comments on this. There is nothing hidden from the Lord's eyes. There are no secrets with Him. Alone or in company, by night or by day, in private or in public, He's acquainted with all our ways. He who saw Nathaniel under the fig tree is unchanged. Go where he w we will and retire from the world as we may. We are never out of sight of Christ. This is a thought that ought to exercise a restraining and sanctifying effect upon our souls. We all know the influence which the presence of rulers of this world has upon their subjects. Nature itself teaches us to put a check on our tongues and demeanor and behavior when we are under the eye of a king. The sense of our Lord Jesus Christ's perfect knowledge of all our ways ought to have the same effect upon our hearts. Let us do nothing we would not like Christ to see and say nothing we would not like Christ to hear. Let us seek to live and move and have our being under a continual reflection, recollection of Christ's presence. Let us behave as we would have done had we walked, he walked beside Him ourselves in the company of James and John by the Sea of Galilee. This is the way to be trained for heaven. In heaven we shall ever be with the Lord. Beloved, note that there's a warning and a comfort uh, in knowing that He's an all-knowing King. There's a warning, right? You got a little feel from that from J.C. Ryle. He, he knows everything about you. He knows everything you do. Everywhere you go, everything you think, Jesus knows. And that, that can be a frightening thought if we're tempted, right? Tempted to sin. I, I know sometimes I'm in the car and I might react a certain way 
uh, when certain drivers do certain things that I don't like, that I would probably never react out loud if Isaac was in the car with me, or Bob was in the car with me, or Michael was in the car with me, or Brandon is in the car with me. I got to, uh, you know, be a good example for Brandon, and he's in the car, so I'm not, I might not say something I might say out loud in anger because Brandon's in the car. How much more? How much more should I be aware of Christ's presence in the car with me? Like that little 90-year-old lady who was in the Walmart parking lot. I love that story. <laughs> the, the robber jumps in and has, says he has a gun and says to give, give him all her money. And she says, no. If you shoot me, I'll go to heaven and you'll go to hell. <laughs> She says, Jesus is in this car with me, and He goes with me everywhere I go. What a good reminder. Jesus goes with me everywhere I go. And, 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 and that should be a warning to me that the way that I live, I should live before the face of God. Corum Deo, right? Latin phrase means before the face of God. We should live before the face of God. He knows all. And that should be a motivation for us to flee sin. To live a holy life. To be careful. Little mouth what you say. And be careful little mind what you think. And be careful little eyes what you see. Because Jesus is with me. He dwells in me. But it's also a comfort. It's, it's not only a, a warning effect to flee from sin. But, but it's a comfort. Jesus is with me. Everywhere I go. He, 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 he watches over me. He, he comforts me. He loves me. He, he will help me. He's with me now as, as I preach. He's with you now as you listen. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And this should be a comfort that Jesus knows all. And He will be with you. He's the all-knowing King. He's not only the all-knowing King, He's the all-providing King. Look at verse 2 again. Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus provides everything to fulfill all of Scripture. Notice that, beloved, about this text. Jesus provides everything to fulfill all of Scripture. Jesus provides everything for your salvation. Jesus provided everything in our text that was needed to make this entry into Jerusalem and He provides everything to fulfill all of Scripture and He provides everything we need to be saved. He provides everything that you and I need to be most happy, satisfied, and content in Him. Jesus will provide all of your needs. We see this truth in our text. And even when we don't see it in our lives, we should see it in God's Word and His faithfulness to us. One pastor said to tell God the Father that He should do things differently is to step into a three-hour-long movie for two seconds and then step back out and lecture the director on the storyline. You don't see the whole picture. You don't see all of history. You don't even see the whole picture of your life or even this week. But God provides God is there. God knows best. And we can trust Him. He is the all-providing King. As the hymn writer says, Great is Thy faithfulness. 
Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. He is the all-providing King. And He will provide all of our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And we're called to trust Him. To trust Him. He's also the Scripture-fulfilling King. Look at verses 4 and 5. Why did Jesus call for this donkey to be brought? Why did He ride on a donkey? I mean, He's walked everywhere else. Why now does He decide to sit on a donkey to enter Jerusalem? To fulfill Scripture. (laughs) To fulfill Scripture is the first reason. Look at verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus rides on a donkey. This points us to the the reality of who He is. He is the Messiah. What does that mean? It means He's the Anointed One. What does that mean? It means He's the Savior. It means He's the King. The kings of Israel were anointed with, with, with oil, signifying them being set apart for God's calling to be the King of Israel. Jesus is the King of Israel. Like none other. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior. And He's the Savior of all nations, not just of the Jews. Beloved, He's fulfilling prophecies written about Him 500 years before He was even born. He fulfills Isaiah 62.11 and Zechariah 9, 9-10 in this passage. Isaiah 62.11 says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Zechariah 9, 9-10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion became a, 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 another name for, for Israel, for Jerusalem. Uh, o daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? But also notice verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. You can show your Hebrew Israelite friends this. He came not just for the Jews, but for the nations. He will speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He came for all peoples from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. You see, the Bible says all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And here He is fulfilling Scripture. He is the Messiah. He rides on a donkey. Uh, uh, and and the, the, the colt's mother is there as well. And some uh, wonder why, why are they both there? Well, this we're told in other Gospels that this colt, this donkey that, that Jesus is riding on had never been ridden before. And so the mother was there to keep the colt calm so that he would be able to ride uh, the colt. In places like 2 Samuel 16, 2, we see donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. And so the fact that he rides on a, a colt, a beast of burden, points to the fact that he is the king. It points to the fact that he's come in peace. He's not on a war horse. He doesn't come the first time riding a war horse. He comes on a beast of burden. It's a pointer to his humility. He was born in a borrowed feeding trough. 
He rode on a borrowed boat. He rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed colt and He was buried in a borrowed tomb. The Son of Man had no place to lay His head. He came humble. He came for peace. And the terms of peace are still relevant today for you and I and everyone, everywhere of all nations. And notice the text says, your king is coming. This is personal. This is personal. Your king is coming to you. Jesus is coming for His people. Jesus is coming for you. Even then, He was coming for you. He knew that He would be going to Jerusalem to die for you. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Loved me, Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit and gave Himself for me. Jesus gave Himself for His people. He, he, he came for you. He's the Scripture fulfilling King. He's also the worthy of obedience King. Look at verse 6. He's the worthy of obedience King. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Kings are to be obeyed. Kings are to be obeyed. And, and Jesus, by His entry into Jerusalem in this way, riding on a donkey, not, not hushing the crowd, but receiving this praise and adoration, he's, he's coming out. He's no longer keeping it secret who He is. Yes, I am the King of the Jews. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Savior. Yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the King. And kings are to be obeyed. Those who are under the king's rule should submit to all of the king's commands. And we see in our text that the disciples get that. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They did what he said. This is a great example for us. We're to do what the king says. Right? This is our mission as a church, right? The great commission to go into all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded, all that King Jesus has commanded. We're to obey our King. Beloved, God loves obedience. He loves obedience. Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do it. To do it, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. God delights in obedience. He loves it. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Amen. They're not burdensome. If, if you're born again, that means you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. That means God's written His law upon your heart. You delight to obey your King. It's not a 
begrudging obedience for our king that we have, but we delight to obey our king. We delight to do what he says because we trust him and we know he knows what's best, that he knows what will make us the happiest, what will most satisfy us. We know that he knows best and so we delight to obey him. Not only because we, he, we know he knows what's best, but because we find joy in him and doing what he says because we're new creatures. His commandments are not burdensome. Charles Spurgeon said the right way for a Christian to walk in is to do what his master bids him, leaving all consequences to the Almighty. You have nothing to do with your own self-usefulness further than to keep your master's commands at all hazards and under all risks. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandments, and whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. Sit at his feet with Mary and learn of him, And when thou risest up from that reverent posture, let it be with prayer. With the prayer, help me to run in thy commandments. Tis a delightful road. Nor let my head, nor heart, nor hands offend against my God. One of the aspects that we're learning as we read about Elizabeth Elliot on our Wednesday afternoons is that she really uh, emphasized obedience and when her husband was killed by these uh, Waldani, tri- this Waldani tribe, uh, she had the opportunity to go and live with the men who killed her husband. She had no idea if they would kill her and take her two-and-a-half-year-old daughter with her. And I can just hear what grandparents are saying about this. You're going to do what? I can hear the pious church people who care about wisdom so much. Is that why? Satan, Satan slither using that stuff. (laughs) Yes, we should be wise. But Elizabeth Elliot was uh, constrained by being obedient. And obedience is what mattered no matter what the risk was. And she wrote, if a duty is clear, the dangers surrounding it are irrelevant. They're irrelevant. We obey the king. We obey the king no matter what. And so this king is a worthy of obedience king. And she did take her daughter in there and uh, they didn't kill them. And many came to Christ. Jesus is also the worthy of worship king. The worthy of worship king. Look at verses 7 through 9. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Beloved, notice they took their cloaks, we're told, and laid them on the donkey. Michael Wilkins comments, this laying of the cloak symbolized the crowd's submission to Jesus as king. They did this when other kings were hailed king. In the Old Testament, in 2 Kings 9.13, we read, Every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. 
And so they took their cloaks off and laid them on the donkey, laid them on the, 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 the ground he would walk on. And this is a symbol symbolizing their submission to Jesus as king. They took palm branches. Again, Wilkins comments, palms symbolized Jewish nationalism and victory. They were connected with prominent Jewish victories in the Festival of Tabernacles. Palms were common on both Jewish coins and synagogue decoration. And so these, these crowds were, were shouting victory, victory to our king. And Jesus would win the victory, and yet how many of them knew how he would do it? That he would not do it the first time, conquering all of his and their enemies, but he would do it by dying for his enemies. That's how he would win the victory. And the people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus comes as the representative of God. And he's praised to the highest. He's praised up to heaven. And these Jews are repeating Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, they're crying out to Jesus what they cry out to God in Psalm 118. Jesus is God. What does Hosanna mean? One article states, Hosanna is often thought of as a declaration of praise similar to hallelujah, but it is actually a plea for salvation. The Hebrew root words are found in Psalm 118.25, which says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. The Hebrew words, Yasha, deliver, save, and Anah, beg, beseech, combine to form the word in, that is in English, Hosanna. Literally, Hosanna means, I beg you to save. Please deliver us. So they're crying out, Hosanna, O oh Lord, save us now. Praise be to the Messianic King. Praise the Lord. They're crying out for salvation. Do they know what they need to be saved from? Do they know that their sin and the wrath of God is most dearly what they need to be saved from and not Roman oppression? And they call out the Son of David. As we saw last week, this is the name for the Messiah who would come to save His people. This is David's greater son. David was promised that he would have a, a greater son whose throne and kingdom would endure forever in 2 Samuel 7. And so they cry out to Jesus and call Him the Son of David. They believe that He is the Messiah. And so they praise Him. And they adore Him. Beloved, this is again a good a good example for us, in part, do you worship King Jesus? Does He move your heart? I mean, be honest with yourself. Does He move your heart? You, you can think of things that move your heart, like really move your heart. You know, people all over the uh, United States were moved yesterday when they watched their favorite football team. Cheering. Traveling great distances, uh, 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 tailgating and, and all these things and cheering and, and they were worshiping and their teams moved their heart. When they won, it moved their heart. Sometimes I've read when, when teams lose, people commit suicide because they worship these things. What moves your heart? 
What moves your heart? Does Jesus move your heart? I remember when I was your age, Devin, what moved my heart was pizza. A sleepover, ice cream. The weekend moved my heart. No school. That moved my heart. Get you excited. Jesus is to move our heart more than anything else. And some of you are here today and you ain't moved at all. And you're bored. And I would just encourage you to pray to God, Father, please forgive me. I, I struggle with it too sometimes. Often, I'm moved by other things more than Jesus, more than my God. And so we confess it as sin. Lord, forgive me for my coldness of heart. Forgive me for being so moved by other things more than you. Please forgive me and please change my heart and please help me worship and praise King Jesus. Help me delight in King Jesus. Let him move my heart because I don't want to, I don't want to sing songs and, and honor him with my lips when my heart is far from him. That's what the Pharisees did. Please, Lord, let me worship you with my heart and my soul. Do, do you worship Jesus this way? Does He move your heart? Do you ever get alone with Him and pray and, and sing and, and weep over your sin and weep for the mercy He's shown you? Jesus is the worthy of worship King. He's also the prophet King. Look at verses 10 and 11. And when He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The people of the city asked, who is this? Who is this man? Who is this guy? They're amazed. They've never seen anything like him. Remember when the Magi, the wise men came at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, all Jerusalem was troubled. And now here at the last few moments of Jesus' life, we're told that the whole city is stirred up. The whole city is stirred up. And they're asking, who is this? Who is this? Ligon Duncan comments, it's possible to be, to be very positive about Jesus and yet have the wrong Jesus or the wrong understanding of Jesus or not trust and obey Jesus as Lord and King. Beloved, that's a good thought for us to remember. We, we can be very positive about Jesus. I, I meet Muslims out in the neighborhood and they'll tell me, oh, we believe in Jesus. It's a different Jesus. That's why I don't call the Jesus of the Quran Isa because that's the, 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 the Muslim Jesus. I call him Yesu, Yesu Akbar. They walk by me and say, Allah Akbar. I say, Yesu Akbar. No, Yesu Akbar. Jesus is the greatest. You can have the wrong Jesus. You can have the wrong understanding of Jesus. You can be very positive. They'll be very positive. Oh, Isa, uh, blessed be his name. But they don't view him as God, the God-man. They don't view him as, as the one who died on the cross. They don't view him as the one who rose from the dead. And if you ain't got that, you ain't got nothing. 
You ain't got the death and resurrection, you ain't got nothing. And so we want to be careful that we're not just positive about Jesus. There are a lot of people in our culture who, who claim to be positive about God and positive about Jesus. And are mad about all kinds of fruit of, of a godless country. Drag queen story hour and the transgender movement and all these things. But as Vody Bauckham said at the G3 conference this week, most people focus on the fruit and not the root. And the root is they need to be born again. They need Jesus, the true Jesus of the Bible. And trust in Christ. Jesus is the prophet king. Notice they do say he's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Maybe some of them, some of them actually got it right that Jesus is the true and better Moses. The Old Testament tells us there would be a prophet raised up like Moses. Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Jesus is that prophet. He is a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He is a prophet. He's more than a prophet. Jesus obeyed the word of God like no man ever did. He's a prophet. Jesus fulfilled the word of God like no man ever fulfilled the word of God. Jesus spoke the word of God like no man ever spoke the word of God. Jesus taught the word of God like no man ever taught the word of God. Jesus was and is the word of God come in the flesh. What does a prophet do? Speak the words of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus obeyed the word of God, spoke the word of God, lived the word of God, is the word of God. John 1. 1 and 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. So Jesus is not the Father. We're going back in a few weeks against modalism, against T.D. Jakes-ism and Geno Jennings-ism. The Word was with God. That's distinct from God. Two persons. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He's God. He's divine. He's fully divine. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the prophet. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. Whom He appointed the heir of all things. He is the prophet king. He's also the soon-to-be-risen king. Matthew 21.10, remember, he said, and when he entered Jerusalem, and remember what he told them in Matthew 20.18-19, see, we are going to Jerusalem, and he told them not only would he be crucified, but he will be raised on the third day. He's not only the crucified king, he's the risen king. That's why we're here today and not yesterday. That's why we're not Seventh-day Adventist. That's not why we're not Seventh-day Baptist. That's why we, 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 we believe Jesus' resurrection is that important. He changed the whole day that God's people meet and worship. The Lord's Day. Sunday. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell. As Shailen says, Muhammad is dead, but Jesus is alive. Buddha is dead, but Jesus is alive. Confucius is dead. They're all dead or going to die. Jesus is alive. 
And beloved, just remember, we will be raised too. Because He lives, we will live as well. 1 Corinthians 15.52 The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. He's also the soon-to-be-returning conquering King. Look at verses 1 and 5 again. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and then verse 5, Behold, your King is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Beloved, when the text talks about the Mount of Olives, it may remind you of the day of the Lord that Zechariah spoke of. The day of the Lord when, when the Lord comes back. And we read in Zechariah 14, 3-4, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when He fights on a day of battle. On that day His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. Beloved, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back. He, and He's not going to come meek and lowly riding on a donkey. He's going to come back as a war general on a white war horse. And He's going to kick our enemies' rear ends. And it's going to be glorious. And in that day, you want to be on His team. He's going to destroy all wickedness and evil. All the things you see in the world today that make you shudder, which many things should, He's going to destroy all of it. He's going to destroy all of them. He's going to crush His enemies under His feet. And our enemies. He comes now for peace. Now is the time for peace. Now is the time we, we're, we're to tell people, listen, he, He's offering you terms of peace. You better take Him now because He's coming back soon and this is what it's going to look like. And we want to tell Him what it's going to look like. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 is what it's going to look like. Then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on His head are many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He's dipped in blood. Because other places in Revelation tell us that the blood that's going to flow on the day the Lord comes back is 184 miles wide, six or seven feet high, as high as a horse's bridle. It will be a blood bath. You ain't never seen nothing like Jesus. Nothing like King Jesus. You, he's coming back with a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
This is Jesus. He came on a donkey, meek and lowly. But this is how he's coming back. To destroy your and my enemies forever. Friend, if you're here this morning again and you're not a believer, you need to get in Christ today. You need to make make being in Christ, getting in Christ, trusting Christ, the, the work of your life until you are assured that He has you and you have Him. Because He could come back today. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Come Lord Jesus. That is the hope of the believer. That's one of the ways I knew I wasn't saved in high school. is because my friends were talking about Jesus coming back, and I'm like, I don't want Him to come back yet. I want to grow up. I want to live my life. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do that. I got all this stuff I want to do. Jesus, you wait, because I got some stuff I want to do. Not born again. Not born again. I don't know Him. Because if you know Him, the Bible says He's coming for who? Those who are eagerly waiting for Him. He's coming for those who are eagerly waiting. There ain't nothing I want to do more than be with Jesus. That's the cry of a believer. Come, Lord Jesus. And then finally, beloved, Jesus is the King of kings. Behold, your King is coming to you. There is no king like King Jesus. He is the crucified king. He's the all-knowing king. He's the all-providing king. He's the scripture-fulfilling king. He's the king who is worthy of obedience. He's the king worthy of worship. He's the prophet king. He's the risen king. He's the God-man king. He's the soon-to-be-returning, conquering king. And he's king of kings. 1 Timothy 6.15 calls God the king of kings. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. Revelation 19 and verse and 17, Revelation 17, 14 says the Lamb will conquer them. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Conclusion, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and He deserves all glory and honor and praise and we are called to humble ourselves under His kingship and not seek to take glory for ourselves. Jesus is king and we are not. A monk rebuked Richard Wormbrand once for his pride in the following parable in which he tells a fictitious story about Palm Sunday. Richard Wormbrand is a man who suffered greatly for the cause of Christ in Romania under communist rule. But apparently he had a pride problem and this man rebuked him for his pride by telling him this story. He said, on Palm Sunday, when the Lord entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, He was received with shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David and with the waving of palm branches. That evening, the donkey told his fellow donkeys in the stable, if only you could have seen with what honor I was acclaimed with in Jerusalem. They called me Son of David, King of the Jews. I had never before known the name of the donkey who was my father. I was very pleased to find out that his name was David. And the crowd seemed very determined to make me the king. They knew their clo- they threw their clothes before me on the road in order that I might walk on softness. I suppose they will come tomorrow to enthrone me. I imagine that when donkey, donkeys become kings, they get plenty of hay and uh, they're not made to carry heavy burdens anymore. As the monk finished the story, he looked at me significantly. There are quite a few such donkeys. 
Young pastors are prone to believe that the honor they receive is for them. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May we give all glory to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knows all things. God's rule He brings. And from the crowd, Hosanna rings. For He's the humble King of kings. Who is Jesus? What do you say? How you reply will fix your way to hell or heaven where you'll stay. Oh, bow to Him, your God today, and trust the Son without delay. He's King of kings, you must obey. For us He died, our God did slay. His only Son, our debt to pay. On every enemy He'll pray and kill them all. Then dead they'll lay, since He rose up on the third day. Back to the Father we must say, our Jesus is the only way. So cry Hosanna, shout away, save us our God, lead us to pray. That Christ is all we might display to live for Him and never sway. Our coming King makes preparation. He knows all things and their relation. Like where cults stay, their habitation. He rules o'er all things in creation. Each one He set in its location. Like coins in fish for His taxation. Now He comes to grant salvation. He's all pleasure in summation. He'll grant peace to every nation if they'll turn from sin's temptation. Then trust in Him as their foundation. God's kingdom's come, the incarnation. Bow to Him with heart prostration and praise His name in adoration. Not a war horse does He ride, nor carry sword drawn by His side. He comes for peace to spread worldwide, humble and lowly, not with pride. This wicked city His heart eyed. And for her lost, the Savior cried. His truth with evil would collide. To earn true peace, He lived and died and rose to set our sins aside. He opened heaven's closed gate wide. And soon He'll come to get His bride. But then, a war horse, He will ride. With eyes inflamed, with every stride. A two-edged sword from His mouth plied. He'll come for war and to divide. The sheep and goats... No one will hide. Oh, turn to Him. Be on His side. Believe in Him. You must decide. Or He will cast you far outside in hell forever to abide. But if you trust in Him who died, you'll live forever by His side. For you all things He will provide. The joys will never be denied and all your tears forever dried. Oh, cry Hosanna to your King who rules for good in everything. His kingdom come, salvation bring, and from His heart all love does spring. He conquered death and healed its sting. So to your Savior tightly cling and praise His name forever sing. Behold, your King must come and die. He rides upon the donkey high. They cheer and cry, let praises fly. The Son of David now draws nigh, yet soon the crowd cries crucify. They'll spit and mock and beat Him and He'll die. But yet he'll rise and death defy. When he returns there on his thigh is king of kings, he's Lord most high. With sword in mouth and fires in eye, he'll crush his enemies who lie and rule forever glorify. Christ Jesus is the coming king who knows of cults and everything, supplies all needs from him they spring. And in Jerusalem they sing hosannas, praise. They're worshiping. 
the son of David, glory's ring, and yet he died and tasted the sting of sin and death for man's offspring. A crown of thorns would pierce this king. On him God's fiery wrath would spring. He'd die so marred past human thing. Then rise to us salvation bring. Take refuge in his healing wing. By faith alone let's to him cling. He saves from Alni to Beijing. He is our God, our reigning king, who will forever make us sing. He is our all, our everything. Father, we pray it would be true that you are our all, our everything. Lord, we pray that we would truly have eyes to behold the King in His beauty. That He is the crucified King. The risen King. The worthy of obedience King. The worthy of worship King. The prophet King. The, the King who will come again and conquer. The King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray, God, You give us eyes to see Him for who He is. That we would love Him rightly that we would worship and adore Him. Lord, that we would rest in all that He's done for us, that we would know Him as the loving King, that He is our loving, all-knowing, all-providing King. Father, we beg You to help us to see Him as He is, to know Him as He is, to worship Him as He is, to trust Him as You have told us He is, that we would grow in this, Lord, Father, we ask that you, by your Spirit, would search us and know our hearts and see if there's any wicked way in us, any idolatrous way in us, any, any kings in our lives that we love more than King Jesus. Or e even close, Lord. And we pray you would remove those idols from us. We pray that we would give him first place and seek first his kingdom and righteousness, knowing that all things will be added to us, O oh God. Father, we pray for anyone here today who's never trusted King Jesus as their Savior. Father, we pray that today would be the day they repent and believe the gospel and bow to King Jesus. And so help us, Father. Draw near to us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.